Hi, I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart. And I'm the Reverend Stephanie Kendall, and welcome to Two on One Friends, um, where anything can happen because it's life and it's live. Uh, This is the one of the only, uh, what is the only, I think, disciples pop culture podcast that also is a live chat. So again, anything can happen. That's excellent. We're doing really well with the demographic of 85 to 95 year old people who have heard of Facebook, by the way. I just saw our ratings. I also, I, I don't know, have you noticed if you look, because you can look at our demographics and like who's watching, and we are actually a globally listened to podcast. We have people in Asia, in Europe, uh, and in South America thus far um, who have consistently downloaded our podcast from my multiple di- from multiple different sites because we are available on every podcast platform. Yeah, we're available everywhere. So thank you folks who have downloaded us, especially thanks to folks who have subscribed. Uh, we appreciate it. We like getting feedback. And it's something we don't talk about a lot in everything. You can email us at twoononeproject at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a message on Facebook. Tweet at us. Uh, Instagram. I never learned how to play the games. And I think we've like paired it back a little bit. And that's okay. We're still on it. And by we, I mean spiff. Um, Every week you can find out who our guest is, a little bit about them, um, and what our um, what our topic of the week is. Not only that, but you can find us on LinkedIn, on Pinterest, on uh, Grindr, on Tumblr. On... That's actually where most people find us is on Grindr. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm a man looking for a man and a woman for a platonic conversation about Moana. Um, well, luckily for you then... Yeah. Our guest today is Seth Rash with Moana, so hop on over. Before we get there, I want to point something out. So last week, we had to miss a show for the first time in almost a year. Uh, yeah. Really, we started this, and it was unfortunate, but we did not know if the electricity grid in Texas or in the Midwest was going to allow us to do a show for an hour with Katie Hayes, who is going to be with us next week. Fantastic. We're thrilled. Um that worked out well for us. Uh, but I missed you. I missed you a lot. Like, like we were talking before the show. Like, I don't know what day of the week it is if we don't do this. 1000% all day on Monday. Some of you might have caught, actually, some of you did catch that I put into Instagram and Facebook when I posted something. See you tomorrow. Because all day on Monday, I thought it was Tuesday because my week had been all thrown off because I didn't see you. I didn't get to, to be in the space with you. It's it's just, it's good to be back. And Spiff, I want you to know that I'm actually wearing my favorite shirt for you today. Just for you. Um, I love you, but that's not my favorite shirt. Well, no, it's my favorite shirt. And I, I just, I missed you. And I got dressed this morning and I thought, you know, today's a special occasion because we're back and because mm-hmm. it can be. So here you go. It's my It's my best look for you. No, I get it. Sorry. I was thinking you said my favorite shirt. And I was like, that's not my favorite shirt of yours. But I love that that's your favorite shirt. Isn't it amazing how, I don't know, textiles can have such really deep and beautiful meaning? Like your cape. Whoa, boy, do I love a cape, Arthur. Uh, There is something. What? We need to get a picture of that for the next time because which one? Because I have a, I have several preaching capes um, and several just capes for random occasions. I love them. There's something uh, to dressing for. I don't know success, people, uh, just feeling good in your own um, garments while you're uh, yeah. doing the work that you're called for. Words and actions and textiles make a statement. If you're looking for liturgical textiles, I am 
always looking for liturgical textiles. I thought you might be. Then you'll be pleased to know that 2-1-1 is sponsored by a liturgical textilist, Jeff Onerow of Jeff Onerow Designs, celebrating 16 years of making ordinary time extraordinary. The creative team at Jeff Wonder Designs handcrafts liturgical textiles. Their processional banners and seasonal banners grace sanctuaries across the country. Their frontals and pyramids adorn altars and lecterns of churches of all sizes. Clergy love and should love and will love their pastor stoles, deacon stoles, chasubles, copes, and other vestments. They are proud to include Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, ELCA, Lutheran, United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Allah, Unitarian, and Roman Catholic faithful among their clients. Interfaith and non-denominational clergy also love the inclusivity of their designs. I love their inclusivity. I love that when we get to read that every single week. I think it's really important. So whether you are shopping for the smallest altar accessory or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff One Row Designs would be honored to work with you to create something perfect for you and your community. So visit jeffwonerow.com for a catalog of stoles, vestments, pyramids, banners, liturgical face masks, along with ordering information and customization possibilities. And you can use the special promo code 2-on-1, all one word, for 15% off your next order. Once again, that's 2-on-1, all one word. I mean, what a special thing just for our listeners. So thank you for, for Jeff. Make, yeah. Yes. Uh, make sure your banner stoles, textiles, uh, art makes a bold and extraordinary statement this season, this season of Lent that we have just started. Uh, and go to jeffwonrow.com, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W, uh, but do so after our show. Yes, because um, we have something rather shiny for you today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him in. Uh, our guest to here to talk about Moana is the Reverend Seth Rash, joining us from Troy, Missouri. Seth, hi. It's good to see Hello. you. I like, the, I like the to catch a predator angle of your webcam. That's good. It's nice. Yeah. It's it's very um yeah. Like I, I feel like I'm looking down into into your world. Tell us. I feel yeah, like I'm about well, to jump into a hole and land on a crab. Like there's very right. much. That's the thing I'm going for here. I, I missed the crab's name because I watched Moana for the for the first time in like one sitting last night. So. Uh, Tamatoa, I believe, is a crab's oh. name. This yeah. is this is why we bring on our guests and we let them choose the thing because generally they know the names of the characters well <laughs> better than uh, Arthur or myself. Although Arthur, you may know this. I don't know. No, I, I watched it for the first time with my uh, husband and daughter. Daughter had seen it. Husband and I didn't. And she at one point shushed us because I was like, and Peggy, like during some of the songs because Hamilton derivative. Yes, you can definitely tell the Lin-Manuel Miranda like vibe in the music for sure. So for those of you who haven't seen it, Moana is a Disney film from a few years ago. Uh, music by Lin-Manuel Miranda starring The Rock as the demigod Maui. And it's the story of a chieftain's daughter, not a princess, which was a brilliant line in a Disney movie, um, saving her people, essentially. It's the first Disney movie set in the South Pacific. It is respect uh, is respectful of indigenous to that region culture. And it tells a, um, it unabashedly tells the folklore of the Polynesian people and presents it in a way that's rather engaging. Like you should watch it. 
I, I, I watched it for the first time last night and just thought, I thought about the three of us, this three white people talking about um, this indigenous culture, one which we are naming right now, and we'll do our best to respect uh, all of that, but are coming at this from a theological lens of how Moana can really, I think, uh, help us inform ourselves on how to engage our communities better. I mean, it is a story of church, in my opinion, and I was really blown away by watching it. But tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what's your relationship to Moana? Why are you, why did you, uh, when I asked you to be on the show months ago, you were like, fine, but it has to, I'll talk Moana. Like it was very much, you gave me nothing else. It was very much other guests are like, I could talk about these couple of things. And you were like, I'm going to talk about Moana. (laughs) I was like, okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm Reverend Seth Rash. I am the associate pastor at First Christian Church in Troy, Missouri, um, where I'm the associate of, of youth and family. Um, and I've been here for about two and a half years, um, came from Texas before where I met both of you, uh, went to TCU and then to Bright. Um, and I, uh, came up here to get closer to home. I'm originally from, uh, Missouri, from a little town called Macon. Um, all roads lead to Macon. Eventually. All roads lead to Macon. I, I can tell that story later. Cause yep, it, that's it right. True. Uh, Yes. And uh, I know you're from Macon. Okay. I've, yeah, I don't know. Because I probably. It's the first thing he tells you, so I don't know. I, I, yeah. The poor listener when we were. Yeah. Know, I, I tend to work that into the conversation fairly quickly, but I, uh, I am, uh, besides being a pastor, I am the uh, husband to Brandy, um, father to Dean, who uh, is two and is uh, just the most rambunctious, full of attitude little boy um, in the world. Yep. And he steals my heart. I love him so. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's fun. He's a lot of fun. He takes a lot of energy, though. But um, and I grew up on a farm raising cattle and uh, I'm a country boy at heart. And so getting back to a more rural setting was definitely something that I wanted to do. And so it makes sense that a guy uh, from the middle of nowhere, Missouri, who wears cowboy boots every day and isn't really that big a fan of the beach and the ocean wants to talk about Moana, right? But whenever I first watched it, it came out in 2016, I think, and I watched it right around there. And the, the first thing I thought about was the call story. I mean, it is a story of call. And our scriptures are full of these these stories of prophets and um, and a Messiah being called and apostles and disciples. And um, and this has sort of all the hallmarks of that, where, um, you know, Moana is called by the ocean, is chosen and, and resists that call for a lot of different reasons, and then eventually accepts it and um, has to go on this grand journey to find not only uh, to not only restore the heart of Defiti, but also to find herself and her own identity as it's wrapped up in her heritage and her ancestry. Um, and in doing that saves not only her people, but the world in some sense. Um, so yeah, I love Moana. It's something I, I have told my youth here at Troy that it's something I want to preach on Moana. Um, and I haven't ever found the right time uh, to do it. But um, that's sort of the, one of the reasons I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do Moana. So 
I so, like that a lot. You've you've put more thought into your topic than plenty of our guests. They've all done great. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, it's kind of neat. That there's a deep theological well uh, already dug for this. So the very, if I can ask the kind of the first question to all of us, and again, this is just a conversation. It's not a, you know, Seth, you don't have to have the answer. Um, well, it kind of feels like you should, since we're looking down on you both, like from the end of the I can try to sit up a little bit. It's, oh, I have no, a very big no, screen. No, so. Don't ruin our illusion. Please. No, it's great. Um, but so the very first part of Moana, so the three of us met doing uh, in seminary, but like, in youth, in youth ministry, right? Like Seth and I, like we have hosts or we have uh, directed camps together. Um, we, it, which was very fun. We had, uh, we, we were very creative and expansive in some of these ways. Uh, but the three of us know each other uh, more deeply outside of schooling through youth uh, ministry, I would say. Um, ish. Yes. Uh, okay. So the very first part of the movie is uh, Moana's grandmother talking about their their narrative, their historical narrative, the stories that keep their people alive. But they're fearsome, like they're about monsters, and they're there's. Um, so what does we tend to in the church, in my experience, gloss over some of the more harrowing parts of scripture, um, maybe for fear that we're about to scare the living daylights out of children that a bear is going to eat them or something. I don't know. But, um, but what does the Moana kind of teach us? Because there is that one kid that who is Moana, who is listening intently to this whole narrative. Um, what does Moana teach us about um, proof texting essentially? Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I hadn't thought about that before, but I do think you're right that, that we definitely, um, gloss over a lot of stories. The, the prime example, I think, is the story of, of Noah, right? And, and we, we tell this story like it's um, happy-go-lucky, you know, that God saved Noah and the animals and everything's fine, except, you know, genocide. But um, You're swimming in a sea of bodies, but yeah, like, right. no. I saw a meme the other day where um, it was a meme and it was Thanos in his snap, and uh, the, the tag was um, God when uh, during the flood, you know, he just snaps the fingers and, and more than half of the population just vanishes. Um, but, yeah, we tell that story like it's um, sort of happy go lucky. And and, you know, we focus on the rainbow and, and all this. And and Spiff, you'll remember we another story that we sort of gloss over is is Jonah and like how like the darker parts of Jonah and one of the retreats that we directed, we built um, for one of the days we were inside the belly of okay. a fish. Are you guys the ones who did the, the entry into the chapel? Yes. The that was us. Wow. Yeah. yeah it it's, was it's it, really cool. I'm going to see if I can scoop that off. Uh, I have it somewhere. Hold on. You guys keep talking. I'll find the image. But yeah. We, we took black, um, black, plastic and wrapped it around inside of this room and and made it into the belly of the fish and we we wanted because we wanted to create this experience of like actually being in the fish in the darkness of it um and i i do think it's important to in in ways that aren't too excessive um tell the whole story as much as we can you know, maybe children's moment isn't the right time to sort of go into the the harder parts of of Noah and the flood, but um, definitely Sunday school 
and where you can have a deeper conversation and a back and forth. Um, and that is, I, I do think that's really important. But I know, but at, at what age? I also like when, when do we start to really talk about some of the? And I apologize. I just said that I was looking for this picture. I do have some. However, they have youth in them, and I don't feel comfortable sharing their we'll, likeness. We'll see. We'll see what we can find because we got to get yeah. a spiff in a cape picture, and we got to get a uh, belly of the whale picture. Um, Absolutely. But so, but, but so, my question is to both of you, as as parents, as I am not a parent, like what? At what point do we? Do we do a disservice to our youth by not telling them the full story? Yes, we do. Um, with the Noah thing, I think it was Dr. It, I know it was Dr. Russ Dalton talked about children's Bibles and how the children's Bibles from their onset always included the flood and the she bears in them. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Second Kings 2, the bald prophet Elisha is walking through a town and a bunch of teenagers run out and they're like, go home, Baldy. And Elisha curses them in the name of the Lord. Uh, she bears, two she bears run out and kill 42 kids. And like Elisha just walks away whistling. It's the weirdest damn story. Um, but the flood and the, the teenagers being ripped apart by bears were always included because the flood was, look at all of these ned, naked drowned children who got abandoned because they were wicked and disrespectful. And look at what happens when you're overtly disrespectful and disobedient. It's the way grandma trusts the kids to process the story as they will where they are. And like she trusts them enough to wrestle with it. Like some of the stuff in the Bible should give you nightmares if you're paying attention. If you're paying attention. Uh, with my kid being 10 and coming into our life as a 10 year old. It's hilarious. What the hell was that? Uh, our office administrator is just on the other side of this wall. Is she threatening to poison Gotham's water supply? Never mind. So <laughs> I apologize. That was rude. Um, it's with our ten-year-old. Like you know, she has a lot of. She's she's just moving into abstract, so it's important to ask these questions and 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 to throw it out there. But like, you know, why not say? The kid who asks, what did Goliath do to deserve to die, uh, needs to be heard as much as the kid who's like, I want to learn how to use a slingshot for Jesus. You know, I don't know. I think I lost my point. Well, and there's a whole like, you know, I, I, I with kids, I think that there's and, and Catherine Wright's writing right now in the chat saying we made them smell fish too, talking about the Jonah um, experience that like we're a lot more willing uh, to do things with kids, to engage the like full five senses with kids and make it an immersive experience than we are with adults, yet we only do so with certain texts. And I think, again, there's there's the give and take of that. What if what if we we approached all of ministry the same way we approach youth ministry? Super accessible in bite-sized chunks. Let's really dive in deep and then pull ourselves back. Um, it, you know, and then also brought that kind of more expansiveness to the kids saying it's not all you know roses along the way that there's some real um there's some real hardships and some real um obstacles in our text that are challenging to not only reconcile but to also to name and to utilize and you know and and to do that really faithfully i don't know i think that the grandma was easily my favorite um character of all of Moana. She is incredible. Village crazy lady. 
It's oh. awesome. It's beautiful. All my the the when she comes when Moana goes to the ocean and to asks her grandma finds her and says, "Are you going to tell my dad?" She goes, "I'm the mother. I don't have to tell him anything." And I was just like, intergenerational collaboration in that way was so beautiful. And I was like, "This is what I want." That like, it's an it's not an every other generation, although it kind of feels that way. And Moana kind of sets it up that well, way. But like, there's something there to the to the wholeness of our story. Um, if we take away generational narratives as, oh, the old people won't meet the young people where they are. Um, and the people that are saying that are generally in the middle. Well, this, the scriptural the scriptural quality too of, of story and tradition, uh, Douglas Adams in The Prostitute and the Family Tree, which is still one of my favorite books says, we we try to present scripture as parent stories, which is this is how I was just and true and upright and followed the rules. And scripture is grandparent stories where the grandparent says, he's my son. I don't have to tell him anything. Go do what you need to do because life is far more nuanced and fun than we want to make it. Okay. Sorry, I'm very movie today. Well, Sorry. we have a, so there's a statement on here and I want to see if it rings true for all of you. Um, Laura Blackwood Pickrell says, there's freedom in being the village crazy lady. Is the desire for most, that, that rings true for me. I really like that. Um, it seems like that's the desire for a lot of pastors. Um, and and yet we don't get to be the village crazy lady because. No, turned into Chief Tui. Yeah. Absolutely. We have to weave baskets and do the harvest and be a cheerleader and show up to every committee meeting and make sure that all of the little decisions are made. And instead of equipping people to dance with the ocean. So yeah. what part of God do we lose when we don't get to lean into that? I think we lose the, the, um, this, like the ability for God to surprise, mm -hmm. um, and to unsettle, um, you know, because I, I think you're right. We definitely become uh, King Tui and we are like this, um, the the keepers of the tradition, you know, the keepers of the, um, the keepers of the keys, you know, we have to make sure that that the, the pyramids get changed at the right time. And we have to show up to the meetings and we have to like keep things going and going. And, and while I do think there is some value in that, it does definitely, um, it can lead you to do the type of thing that the kings before Tui decided, which was to stop the to stop wayfair wayfinding. You know, to 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 hold up to to seek security over um, seeking the uncomfortable and the sort of liminal space between to to find God in those places as well. So I, I like everything you said, especially because tradition isn't the same as soul. And we can establish traditions and we can absolutely lose the purpose of the tradition. Absolutely. That. Also, changing pyramids. If you need to change over all of your pyramids, can we recommend unto you jeffwonrow.com? Uh, check it out after our interview. I will send you the link. Um, Spiff? Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, another thing, again, because this is... Uh, I, I have a three and a half year old niece who is just the light of my life. And I think I've seen Moana like in bits and pieces. I knew this. I know the how far I'll go song, which is just a bop. But um, like I found myself like in bed at last night at like 1.30 watching this just like 
It's in there. Yeah. Like, um, but one of the things that when I just sat down and really watched it, especially with the eyes, like the theological lens that we bring to this show, the, like why I want clergy specifically and or faith leaders specifically to, to watch this is Moana and the culture of the uh, community that she is called to lead very much. There's a line in it that says like, let my people lead me. Um, that it is not about top-down leadership or her, her people, let my people guide me. That's essential or something like that. that. Like, you know, what kind of expansive and beautiful leadership uh, is possible when you don't come with as the leader, don't come with a proposed agenda, but that the health and well-being and welfare of everyone is the agenda, meaning that it's kind of unilateral leadership. There's a there's a chief because you, sometimes you just need someone to make the decision. Um, but but that there was a real faith in the community. I mean, like it was, you know, socialism at its best, like very much like is that like <laughs> I mean, they're all in it for each other. They build the baskets for each other. They they fish for each other. That like their connectivity and their livelihood is built on the fact that each one of us uses our gifts individually and exceptionally to the best of our ability for the good of the whole. And that includes leadership at every level. Um, and I think a lot of us get lost as pastors in the I want to change this one thing about our church, or I want to change this cultural norm, or I want to change rather than listening to how they're already changing and, and following that path to kind of uh, pivot rather than replace. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that, I think that's one of the beautiful things about on this rewatch that I did for this, um, which I think was like six or seven uh, times I've seen it, but um I I noticed something like they try to make this story about like Moana and Moana is the chosen one and Moana goes and she saves the world. And and while there is an element of that, I think like as a pastor and I think many pastors have this ideal of like, I'm going to come into this church and I'm not going to say that I'm going to save it, but I'm going to save it. Right. Like. I'm going to make the decisions. We're going to, I'm going to lead these people. I'll pull them. I'll push them, do whatever I need to do to get them through there. But the beauty of this story really is that Moana is not like, she can't do any of this. First of all, without her grandma telling her the story and also guiding her in, in ways um, beyond death. Um, but also through the ocean. I mean, she's chosen by the ocean. The ocean sort of, I mean, I, I don't, I, I hesitate to make sort of um, allegorical comparisons to another culture. And by, you know, because this is a is a pre-Christian um, sort of culture, but the ocean can be seen as sort of serving a God role of, of choosing Moana. And then also, Moana doesn't capture, or, you know, not capture, but sort of capture Maui without the ocean because she doesn't even find his island without the storm that she asks, okay, ocean, help me out here. And then a storm blows up, which is a constant reminder of be careful what you ask for when it comes to God. Um, but the storm blows up, blows her to the island, and then she, he, Maui steals her boat and leaves, but the ocean 
gets Moana back on the boat. And then when Maui decides to, okay, I'll just go back to the island, the ocean keeps putting him back on the boat. And so really it's, this is a story about, about Moana and her support system, her community that goes even beyond just her ancestry of, of having the story of wayfinding, but also through the ocean that can be seen for us as like, we not only as pastors have to listen to our communities to see where they're at and how we can partner with them, but we also have to listen to God and rely on God to get us to where we need to go. And I think for mainline, for mainline Christians, that is an uncomfortable feeling because we like control and we like to, we like to be the smartest person in the room. I know I do. Um, And so so giving up some control and saying, you know, God's going to open, God's going to like reveal what's next in mm-hmm. some way, as long as we're looking, as long as we're searching and seeking and listening, the next thing for this church and this community is going to open itself up. And too, it's, it has to be built on what has come before. Mm-hmm. I really like the whole like, there is this level in pastoral ministry of like, I'm going to save this church. Um, I always ask people like, how big do you want your congregation to be? <laughs> because I think if, I think the default the unexamined answer is as big as it can get. And like, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't, I don't want to preach to more than 200 people at a time. Like, I, I don't know if I'm cut out to be a mega church pastor because like those it's, it's a different world. I'm not a three on the Enneagram. Um, it's, it's all I want. <laughs> well, no, I think threes are most capable to do it, but it's, it's also like the boats are there and the boats are out there. Um, and I want to play with your metaphor too, because I think the church, instead of relying on the ocean, so to speak, allegorizing, but respectfully, because I, I, again, non-Christian thing, the church is the crab. Mm. Um, the church is I'm a collector of all of this stuff and I am secure with all of this crap in my shell. And if I take care of myself and I have my own little space that is full and shiny. Okay. We will, we will attract the fish from the top and they will come down and then we will eat them. We will, we will make sure they work for us. Oh, is Seth about to sneeze or did he freeze? He may have frozen. Careful. That's okay. Seth, come back on when you can. I'm um, his brilliant response. <laughs> um, I'm gonna. There you are. You're back. I was gonna say I'm gonna read some. We have a lot of comments happening. Sarah Kingsbury's here. Uh, Bonnie English is watching with us. But Sarah says it's important for Moana that memory slash past was shared for the continuation slash healing of the future. And I think that we find ourselves in that space right now in our country um, as we look at. I hope that Black History Month is not the only time in which we engage history around, uh, you know, the 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 history of Black people in this world and in this country. Um, but in this last year, I think that there is a narrative in which we um, we very much want to cast that vision forward, and white people very much don't necessarily want to look backwards at our participation in um, chattel slavery and enslavement of people. And so um, 
but it's important. We have to, right? We have to reconcile our past and and name it so that we can learn and grow and um, create healing and wholeness for the good of all of us. And I think that Moana really, um, the story writ large, not just Moana as an individual, but the story tells us, uh, you know, how much we can only go past the wreath, uh, reef if we if we know, if we have the right tools, if we have the, which is part of institutional memory and his, history and culture and all of that um, to, to, to get the right boat to move us out, right? Because she's got her little boat. Uh, she's tried. It keeps pushing her back. Like, it's not going to work. She needs the uh, substantive nature of, of historical context to move forward. Yeah, and I think we also have to be honest about the telling of the the old old story right I mean I I see this in church sometimes where um, where people who have been in a congregation for say twenty years they remember a time twenty years ago in their mind and they may not remember all of it but they probably remember that more people were there that there was a an energy a life and and that may be because they were in a group that had energy in life. But the, the church itself may have been, um, may not have been as honest, as, as energetic as, as they remember. And I think the same is true for, for the way we remember the story of our country, especially as people who are um, looking back at a, at a, a past of, of um, racial injustice that is um, really hard to sort of look at, that we have to be honest with the telling of that and not just um, gloss over it and say, uh, you know, yeah, it was bad, but there was a lot of good things too. And, you know, we have to, we have to be honest with the telling of that story. Well, there's, there's something to be said about, about ritual, right? Like ritual is not just something we have to do. Ritual is something that we must do. Uh, the walking through town with the headdress on, uh, the stacking of stones and, and, uh, so the stacking of stones was my favorite image. And I was so dumb at the end of the movie. If you haven't seen Moana, every chief puts a slab of stone on top of the next. So there's like this, I mean, I, I think I counted at one point, there were 12 stones and I was like, hey, symbolism, all right, uh, Gilgal. Um, but there's also that, you know, moss growing on the bottom. My daughter's like, wait, that means they've been there a long time. And I'm like, you did it. You got the symbol. Um at the end of it, putting a conch shell on it. She, uh, Moana's contribution is a conch shell. And I thought, well, the next stone that goes on there is going to crush the conch shell, not catching that they're going somewhere else. I'm sorry. The ritual becomes the story has to be named. Um, and like when we lectionaryize the scripture, when we, when we, when we sanitize children's Bibles, we're, we're not engaging in the hard story that is basically God's story in the Judeo and then Christian realms. So well, oh, I, I wanted to ask something about the fishermen and the blight, um, where the fishermen are like, yeah, there's no fish. And they're like, we'll go to the south side. No, there's no fish. Go up there. Yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. And the answer is not do the one thing we know that will help us survive, even though it's radical and scary. It's more or less like we'll put it to a committee vote later. Um <laughs> I don't think I have a question with that. That just cut me deep in my soul of loving church. Yeah. Well, 
I'm, I'm wondering if y'all, how y'all feel about this, but like, as I watched it and I was like, okay, she's still a teenage girl and they're giving her the full authority to, to lead the people. So it makes me a wonder what their line of succession, like how, how that comes to be. Cause it's not a, a like a traditional kind of monarchy in which you see like the parent has to die or pass on to, to gain that type of authority. But I'm, then I was like, well, why do we continuously tell these stories of young people saving the world, which is all of Disney and Pixar at this point, right? It's just like every Disney princess is literally some teenage girl that has gone. A she's a she's not a princess, which threw me off as I looked on Disney Plus last night and I was like trying to find it and it was like not in the princess category. And I was like, but should it be? I don't know. Like, there, I think that there's a... Well, in, in Wreck-It Ralph, she is in, like, in the second Wreck-It Ralph, she's in the princess room. So Disney's not exactly, like, consistent on this. No. That's probably just a really good joke, which it was. I... Yeah, right. I mean, I loved it. I loved that we're giving our young people a narrative that it's like, you don't need to be a princess. You don't need to be saved. You get to do the saving. Um but taking it back to the church, you know, like had they listened to Moana the whole time to go beyond the reef, like they would have, you know, like they would have been better, right? Like there's, we're, if we stop long enough to listen to the young people, when we're talking about sustainability, when we're talking about vision casting, when we include them, not as a tokened young person, but as a full-fledged member of this church with ideas of where the church is going um, and value that space, uh, we will move towards the kingdom in more faithful and sustainable ways. Yet we often say, thanks for that contribution. We're not doing that because that sounds scary to the people that have been in this church longer than you've been alive. And that's the weight they carry. So, I got to tell you a story because I love it. Uh, it's someone I love is a minister. Many people I love are ministers. And a kid at his church, like gung-ho, you know, that youth who does everything, at 14 got a job as a dishwasher, refused to work on Sundays, like did everything right on that, and tithed. And like to be held accountable showed said person that I just love. Like this was my paycheck. I'm literally trying to tithe this. Um, and it wasn't much because it was a kid making, you know, eight bucks an hour. Uh, actually, probably what? Yeah, like less than eight dollars because the minimum wage has not gone up since two thousand and nine. Yeah, but the price of everything has almost doubled. Um, anyways, tithing it—that's fine. He gets appointed to be a junior deacon the next year, and he goes to a board meeting and he says, "Why is it junior?" And they're like, "Well, you're under the age of eighteen. And he said, "But you all cash my checks, like I." I, I'm not a junior tither. Give that kid a church. Yeah, he was that kid at church. But that created like this weird revolution because he started asking other youth to show up to board meetings and they started contributing and like joining committees and ministries and such. And it really messed up the church. Like it, it didn't it didn't do anyone any favors. It instead created like conflicts and controversy, but in a good way. I think I think the congregation's still around. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna look that up right now. Well, and I, while you're looking, one of the reasons I'm a minister is because early on in my, um, like when I was early in high school, I was included um, probably as the token kid, but 
it was meaningful for me all the same in the creation of a mission and vision statement for my home church. Um, I don't, I don't know if that mission and vision statement is still around at that church. Um, but, but being a part of that process was like, they value, they value me and I have input and I have the ability to affect change here. Um, that's one of the things that, that I do think that it is really scary for, um, the older generation within a church to look at the younger generation and, and say, we're going to hand this off to you someday. Like, I do think there is a, a lot more comfort in you can have it when we're gone, as opposed to a working together um, model that that uh, this village seems to have. You are uh, the future of the church. Nope, I'm the church right now. Oh, and I made him mad and I froze him. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on an invitation to, you know, intergenerational dialogue that starts with um, native digital language speak around TikTok, um, that that's where the young people are are right now. Um, and I'm sure there's a, they're on spaces that I don't even know about, but like TikTok's the one that's coming up. And, and yet, you know, how many of my elders are on it? Listen, and I know I was, I, you know, when I told on myself, I was like, I got on it last week. So it wasn't like I'm well ahead of the curve, but if are we're on, going to- Are you on TikTok, sir? I refuse. Okay. I'm sorry. Please continue, Smith. Excuse me. No, but I think that there's something to meeting people where they at, where they're at, which is speaking their language, be it a digital language or a tech, you know, like, and, and valuing that not as something, it's like the kid, you know, the people that have been saying, I want online church forever. And all of a sudden, now that we're forcing people into online church for safety and health reasons, I have so many people being like, oh, this is actually like really worshipful. Like, I, I like it. And I'm like, well, we could have, ha- we've, the park has had this for a while, but I mean, like the church writ large really sh- could benefit from meeting people where they're at. And I think that that's what, Mo- what Moana does really well is uh, it says that like the value of the voice of our young people is, is now and not a future evaluation of where they will help us get, but like of really where the church is settled. We trust you as a steward of the future. And so we're going to equip you to be it today. Hmm. Yeah. Start that process, like start the process of equipping. I mean, that, I do think that is, I mean, that, and you th- you see that with, with her dad, like deferring to her and. But her dad wouldn't tell her the full story. That's like, true. Like if he would have said, look, I don't want you going past the reef because I was dumb and I did it. And a friend of mine died because I was irresponsible and that's really messed me up. And I love you very much at least that's a part of reclaiming that story. Absolutely. <laughs> I talked about the chicken. Hey, I hey. was just going to go there. I was like, can we talk about the chicken? Okay. Um, I love the chicken. Kind of kind of just the best part of the movie. Honestly, it's a really good movie. Uh, and Hey, Hey is the best part. Also, Alan Tudyk is the voice of the chicken. Um. I had a question and generally Seth gets these questions from me in a text at like, you know, in the middle of the night and or on a piece of paper as we sit next to each other in class. Um, How long do chickens actually live? And why is this chicken 40 years old? (laughs) The chicken's 40? I don't know. No, I mean, but the hay has been around since Moana was a baby and Moana is now clearly a teenager. And so it depends on the type of chicken. 
Okay. Um, there are chickens. Called, farm expert. Yeah, that's right. So there are chickens called broiler chickens that are the chickens that we tend to eat. Um, they have been bred so that- You're using they, we in a real large sense there, buddy. Correct. Yeah. I remember the hard meats discussion, but- uh, Hard meats. <laughs> but I, so there are, they these broiler chickens have been bred so that they grow muscle fast than- uh, faster than anything else, including their organs. So after a period of like, I think it's eight months, um, they will literally fall over dead because their hearts can no longer beat fast enough. I mean, you like, you butcher them before that, but I don't know about um, like, like egg chickens. I don't know. I would imagine it's a period of five, five plus years. I don't know if it would be 16 how long do chickens live? A quick Google search tells us five to ten years. So, okay. hey, hey, is, is hey, hey, it's a good ocean long. air. Yeah, is hey, hey, like the grandson of hey, hey, prime? Ooh, maybe. So, is there always going to be a hey, hey in this tribe? And does that form the church in its mission? My question to those of you that eat the hard meats <laughs> is: I feel like that's a gay joke. No, oh. that's not definitely not a huge joke. Um, but like it's hey hey essentially saves the day, right? Catches the heart of the ocean at like the tip of the bow, does nothing but like kind of cause a little bit of mayhem throughout the entire way in a way that like Maui's like, I'm gonna eat it. Like so many people are like, even though like that that town elder was like, shouldn't we just eat them by this point? You know, like all of that, and yet the thing that seems to have the least value kind of makes the entire mission possible because had the heart of the ocean been dropped during that chaotic like storm that she was in, she would have had to ma navigate back. Maybe it was lost all the different things. I mean, taking the ocean as an, a character out of it. Um, you know, so what do we do with those that we think don't have the gifts of the communities that we are serving um, and how do we continue to support them knowing that a gift is there? We just may not know how to use it. Yeah, exactly. I think um, as as you're talking about this, it makes me think about. Um, and should the, you continue to eat meat? Because clearly chickens offer some sort so of. So as you problem. talk about this. <laughs> uh, so as you talk about this, it makes me think about like the. In, in all congregations, I think there is the, there are people that we're not entirely sure um, how they fit in. And they also, um, they, their presence sort of creates a little bit of chaos, just like, hey, hey, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the bird won't even stay on the boat. I mean, and just seems to wander about. But, but I think you're right in pointing to, and I think it's an important thing for pastors and churches to remember and keep in mind. And that is that, um, you know, the, I mean, to use Paul's metaphor of like the body of Christ, like we need that chaotic um, uh, sort of presence just as much as anybody else. It may not be that they are the, committee chair for all of the different things. They may not be a decision maker on a daily basis, but you never know how that person or those people are going to benefit the mission of God within your community. And so you do have to um, 
you do have to tend to them as much as you would anybody else. Yeah, I, I've, an old, old friend of mine said, even the pinky toe keeps balance, mm-hmm. um, which is like, you know, seemingly very dismissible as a part of the body, but like you, without it, we we topple over. Um, so we, we should probably talk about him because uh, he's the villain, uh, Maui. Um, okay. You know what? That's just this. That, that's it. Maui. Is Ma- the question is Maui the villain? Is Maui the villain? My answer is yes. Unabashedly so. But is he? But not a villain like in the traditional sense, right? No, I mean, he's, I. So there's always like the fight the dragon at the end of the movie, right? right? And it's and I love that like the, the big consequence of breaking creation is that creation is broken um and if maui didn't do anything nothing would have happened um and if you would just do what he's supposed to do it wouldn't be as bad um i don't know villain is i guess it's more like antagonist i mean literally yeah. antagonized or perhaps maui's the cause the prime cause i don't know Spiff, Seth. yeah definitely trickster i mean he's definitely like to to like to look at creation stories from um you know around in different cultures there's always there's typically like a trickster right and um and so he's definitely i think he's even called that at one point he's called the trickster and um but he definitely he plays a role in the um in the restoration uh but yeah you do so i think Related to this, I think that he asks a really good question early on, and that is, uh, why didn't the ocean just re- like take the heart back? Like if the if the ocean could take the heart to you, why did the ocean not just take it back and restore it itself? Um, that's a question that that struck me, but I do think that Maui. I don't know. I mean, I think Maui is like. This really interesting, definitely antagonist, but also like partner with Moana because without without Maui, Moana never learns the skills to get through the barrier islands to restore the heart. I mean, she never becomes a master wayfinder. So it's more like um, an antihero. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I watched it and I thought oh, he's a clear villain, like toxic masculinity, like just being like, you're welcome. You're yeah. welcome for all this. Oh, way, no, I'm sorry. Spiff, would you please share the comparison you made before we started today? Because I think it's kind of beautiful. Um, I said that he vaguely reminds me of a certain senator that may have fled his state when the waters got rough and uh, blamed it on a teenage girl. <laughs> His being his daughter. Um, yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know that that was, that was just like my initial reaction to it. And I think that there's an anti-hero. I also think that in, uh, again, we have, we have people talking in the comments here. It says the people Moana struggles against, and this is again from Laura, um, the people Moana struggles against are all people slash entities who aren't being their true selves due to trauma. And I think that that's really a good assessment of Maui that like even his toxic masculinity is coming out of trauma, his 
um, the when he decides that he just like can no longer be a part of the solution and leaves like it's it's trauma informed flight responses. And so for me, to, this is why I was like, eh. like, while I did see some similarities in this current context of him and that certain senator, I don't think it's uh, I, I like Maui a whole lot more. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I that's all. I thought it was, was really well, and I don't want to um, uh, make light of the trauma that is happening in in Texas right now. And so, um, but there is a redemptive arc for Maui um, in which he recognizes, and I think it's interesting for us as people of faith that the one person that is named a god or a demigod, you know, like the one word that that word is really thrown around is this person that is. Um, both the chaos and the solution all in once. And what does that tell us when we have labeled someone as a villain in our life? And uh, what are they actually teaching us? How are we actually growing from that resistance? Well, yeah. And what if the story, what if the liturgy of it, what if the ritual is a way to create meaning as opposed to a way to create purpose? Like obviously the uh I cannot remember what they called the volcano, but it's the volcano. It's it's Taka. It's the circle of life. It's it's you know, uh was there a great flood? Do we need to be literal about it? Or is it a way to describe why things happen? Um why does childbirth hurt? Any of that wonderful Genesis stuff. Sure. And, and I don't believe childbirth hurts because women are, are are wicked. Incidentally, just throwing that one out there. Don't want to be misunderstood. Yeah, I agree. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, Steph, I. Uh, if anyone is ever wondering what mine and Seth's full-on conversations are, a couple of months ago, a month ago, I don't know. Seth and I were on. Seth and I go for long periods of time in which we do not talk, and then we will get on the phone with each other and get off four hours later and when his wife comes down the stairs and is like who have you been talking to for hours um we do we do figure out the solutions of the world and then figure out that we also cannot share them in this time so it's a um it's a it's a big cycle um but seth thank you so much for coming on um yeah this has been great see it wasn't as painful as you thought it would be no, absolutely not. No, I really enjoyed it. And, and honestly, like there's so much in Moana, like that we didn't even like, there is, it's so deep. It's such a deep sort of text that. Deep like the ocean. Wow. That's right. That's where I was going. What? And then you are obviously invited back at any time. I did point the suggestion earlier in our production meeting that um, last week we did, or two weeks ago, we did um uh, the Super Bowl, and that was well received by lots of people. Sports apparently is something that our people have been um, longing for, and I said uh, we should do baseball when my Giants and your Cardinals uh, inevitably go to the playoffs. Inevitably go to the playoffs, and it's an odd number year, which means the Cardinals will go to the series. So that's right, and we Giants, got Arenado, baby. Giants, Giants usually go in even years. Cardinals usually go in odd years. Like that's history. That's true. I know. Oh, do I know. If, oh, you were, do I know? if you were to look in my office right now, the, the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle from 2010, 2012, and 2014 are all framed in my home, <laughs> in my office, because it is work. Uh, anyways, Seth, again, thank you for coming. Uh, we are, it's always a joy to talk to you. Uh, as it is our tradition to ask the last question, you will get to go first. And so 
Seth, what biblical character, narrative, theme, or book are you most reminded of in Moana? Yeah, I struggle with this one. Um, I I initially was sort of like uh, Moses. Um, and I think I was Moses because of like the call story of Moses. It's one of the most complete we get um, where he is called and then um, he resists that call. Um he resists it for personal reasons. Moana resists it for sort of societal reasons, familiar reasons. Um, also, uh, their meaning, their names both have meaning. Moana, uh, her name means uh, ocean. And Moses means uh, or sounds similar to the word that is for water. And he's born out of the river. Um, but I settled on Peter as one who... Um, who, you know, going along with this idea that Moana didn't really have all of the skills necessary to go on this trek, that it really was her support system that got her through it. Peter's the same way. Peter gets called by Jesus and and really is, um, through the Gospels, is sort of portrayed as um, lost. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't say the right things. He doesn't do the right things. He rejects Jesus. He pushes away. But yet... Through the the power of of Jesus's ministry, through the power of the Spirit after Jesus's death, he is the rock on which the church is built, um, and and so it's it's less about um, sort of the personal skills and attributes that a person has, and more about the community that carries them forward and equips them to. Uh, do things beyond their personal um, ability. That's thorough. I would have said, hey, hey, was Peter. Uh, my answer, it, because they call him rock because he can't swim. Um, I, I, I'm going to say this, Moana's Jeremiah. Um, I'm elbows deep in Jeremiah right now uh, doing exegetical work. The problem Jeremiah has with the people of God are that they're seeking permanence. When there is no permanence, um, there's something to be said about um, you rejected me when I was living water. And also you have uh, made cisterns, crack cisterns that hold no water. And uh, I just felt some resonance there. But also, like, this is exegetical stuff right now. Okay, Spiff? So I have two. I thought that one, I, I think the reef is the institutional church and the ocean is God's expansiveness. And we stay in our own little reef in our own little boats. But when we really connect to that, the full journey um, and get the historical context and get our larger boats, which I, I think is, I think the larger boats are deconstruction um, that you get to actually kind of go out beyond the waters and um, really experience God in in that vastness. But I also was really drawn to um, the Memorial of Stones in Joshua 4 um, as like the history of the Exodus and and the story of this people and the rock piles that um, are also the story of Moana's people. Um, And I just thought that that was a really nice um, kind of parallel of ways in which we mark time and structure in society, so. Yeah. Well, Seth, we can't thank you enough for being part of our show today. Once again, our show is sponsored by Jeff Wonro Designs. We're not telling you that specifically, Seth, but we're not blocking you from going there either. Uh, check them out at jeffwonro.com. Uh, 
specific code two on one, all one word for 15% off your entire stole order. Um, Easter's coming up, friends. Get new stoles. Next week, we will be back with the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes, uh, a true queen, talking about Stephen King. It's perfect. It works out. It's going to be a royal good old time. Seth, thank you again. God bless you. And uh, everyone who's out there in the intertubes or listening to us, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you very much.